Hello and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined today by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hi, everyone. It's great to be back for another little coffee break. This week, we are celebrating all things mom as we're gearing up to Mother's Day. Yes, and we're taking a little break from the political world and just having a real conversation about us being moms. Now, we realize that not everyone's experience is the same as ours. Everyone's experience is different. But we just wanted to chat about um, our what our dreams were when we wanted to become moms, what it was like becoming a mom, and all the things that we're feeling in between those stages in life. So um, first of all, we want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. We know that motherhood looks different for everyone. Sometimes it means that you don't have a child to hold. And sometimes that means that your child is someone else's child and you have become a spiritual mother. And so we want to celebrate all different types of mothers and um, and just let you know that you're important no matter what your role is in that mothering experience. Mm-hmm. So Tabitha, um, what was your, I guess, dream or vision of yourself as a mother when you were growing up? Yeah, I always envisioned me being a mom. And I think, you know, a lot of little girls dream of that and think of that. Um, obviously, I had lots of baby dolls and Barbie dolls and um, we, you know, role play with the moms and the babies and stuff. Um, but when I guess when I started getting serious about it, it was when I was out of college, I was married, of course. And at the beginning, I did not feel like I was ready to become a mom. I wanted to become a mom eventually, but um, I just didn't have that like strong desire to have a baby quite yet. I know some women will get married and that's their first desire is to have a baby. And I just wasn't there yet. As, as a newly married couple, I would say we had a lot of distractions like Mm -hmm. career and, um, just learning how to be in a marriage. And we had a, a, a really, I like it. We had a thriving social life. So you don't anymore. <laughs> um, not as much as I used to have. <laughs> yeah. Once my husband and I felt like we were kind of in a routine and then my friends started getting pregnant, then that made me kind of switch gears in my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking back, I think I think the timing was good for us, um, but I would I would say you know if I gave myself advice back when we first got married, I don't know if I would say to wait as long as we did. Mm-hmm. We I, we only waited I think three years, but now that I know like how great motherhood is, mm-hmm. I probably would have said have babies as soon as possible. <laughs> Well, it's unknown, so it's scary, right? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah, there's no way you can explain 
to someone without kids, the love and the excitement and all of the things that surround motherhood. Like, mm-hmm. just, there's just no way to explain that in words. Yeah. And it's scary too, because it ultimately will change your relationship with your spouse. You know, you're adding in a whole nother dynamic and you're used to being just the two of you. And now all of a sudden there's three of you and you're balancing your relationship with your spouse, but also the demands of being a new mom. And that can be really overwhelming. Right. What, what was your dream of becoming a mom? Like, I don't know. I mean, like, obviously I think I, I thought about it, but it wasn't really on my radar. I got married pretty young. I was only 22. And so I would say like you, we waited a couple of years, but then I don't know, just got the itch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what was really hard for me is that I was the first out of all my friends and really in this area in DC, not a lot of people have kids, you know, in their mid twenties. So I was only 25. Um, So that was very, very difficult to find community. And I think it still is find community of not only obviously there's people at our church who have kids but they were close to 10 years older than me and it was really hard to connect with them mm-hmm. without feeling like I was belittled or like why did you get pregnant already um so I don't know but now I mean going back I think that I, Robert and I both don't have any regrets having children younger because we have more energy and <laughs> It's just fun. You know, what did we do before we had our little guy? I'm not really sure. I know. It's amazing. Like when you have a child, how they just naturally become part of your life Mm -hmm. and all, all of the fears that you had, you know, they, they seem silly after a while. Yeah. But when you're thinking about having a child, you think of all the bad things that could happen mm-hmm. and all the things that you'll be taken away from or all the time that you won't have. But then having a child ends up being just a natural part of your routine. And um, like Jude goes with us places, of course, um, and our lives have been scheduled mm-hmm. differently, mm-hmm. but now I can't imagine not taking him places. You know, we have our occasional date nights or times that we're away from Jude, but um, but now it's like, oh, I want him to experience this or <laughs> even just going to Target. Like, I want him to see Target. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think also, like you were saying, you probably would have gone earlier because it's so hard to know what your journey to get pregnant is going to look like. Some for some women, it takes upwards of five years and it's just emotionally draining. So sometimes it is better to start earlier (laughs) just for practical reasons. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Both of us have uh, experienced good pregnancies and we've experienced not so great pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Kirsten, can you let us in a little bit about what your pregnancy was like with James and then also trying to get pregnant again afterwards? Yeah, yeah. So my uh, my pregnancy with James was fairly, I would say, easy, although I was, I would say I and my husband we were very naive about all the, I guess, just the med- medical stuff regarding a pregnancy. So I went in to my doctor um, for our routine eight week checkup. And she told me that we had all these options in terms of genetic testing that it was very, 
common. Like these are just things that people do. And so we're like, okay. And I was kind of on the fence either way. I didn't really care to get what's called a cell-free DNA test, which tests for a bunch of different things like Down syndrome, trisomy 13. And so we eventually decided that that was going to be what we were going to do. And if they saw anything different or, or, or um, abnormal, then we do further testing. But along with that genetic testing, they also encouraged us to do what's called a nuchal translucency scan, which is done, I think, between 11 and 13 weeks, and it measures the amount of fluid in the baby's spinal cord. And the amount of fluid is apparently an indicator of Downs or a marker for Downs. And so, of course, my baby's was like literally like maybe a half a milliliter over the recommended amount. And it was just a bombardment then. I remember I was sitting in the in the ultrasound room and the tech laughed and we were like, what's going on? All of a sudden a doctor comes in who I had never seen before and tells me this information about our baby and that and all these issues might be present. And they send in their phlebotomist to come take some more blood work. But she pulls it out of my forearm rather than like the crease of my elbow, it was very, and, and it was very painful. And so just like all of this, like you think of this, I'm like 25 years old, experiencing all of this in a room with a bunch of people I don't know. Mm-hmm. And there was no one there to tell me, you know, the accuracy of this test isn't very good. And even if it is, it'll still be okay. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like very, then my pregnancy went from very joyful to very nerve wracking and stressful. And I don't think I realized how stressful it was until I was on the flight home from Christmas visiting family and I fainted in the airport. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was very scary and they never really knew why I did, but I honestly think I was just so stressed out mm-hmm. that I just, I just needed, it was my body's way of telling me just relax. So I got to stay home for two more days and then my mom came back with me on the next flight and I just kind of let it go. And I ended up switching doctors and my new doctor was like, after my son was born, I think that they just over-tested you. (laughs) I was like, you think? (laughs) But what about you? How was your first? So my first pregnancy was in 2017 and it was, you know, our first time trying we had success after just a couple months, which was a big surprise to us. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of had the mindset like, oh, it might take a little bit. Um, and I was coming off of birth control. So I knew, knew that like that had to work its way out of my system and, and all of that stuff. And so um, got pregnant pretty quickly. And then um, I started experiencing a lot of bleeding my doctor had told me, you know, this could be normal, but keep an eye on it. And everything that, you know, I'm just like Googling everything, mm-hmm. everything saying the same thing. Um, you, you get the worst stories and the best stories with, with those Google experiences. <laughs> and there was just one night we had to come back from grocery shopping. And I said, I, I think I just, I think I need to go to the emergency room. It was a mm-hmm. Friday night and uh, my husband's like, why don't you just, you know, wait a, a few days and see what happens. And I'm like, no, I'm just really feeling like something's wrong. And I don't want to wait on this. I had gotten a, a, an ultrasound at six weeks and saw the baby's heartbeat and everything. And um, when we 
had the ultrasound at the, the ER, um, they found that the heart wasn't beating anymore. I was not prepared for that whatsoever. I don't think anyone's prepared for that, but especially with it being your first pregnancy. Yeah. And for me, someone who works in the pro-life movement and who champions babies and pregnancies and um, it was kind of like, why me? Like, why, why am I having to deal with um, a miscarriage? Mm-hmm. And so I remember getting the news. As soon as that nurse saw me tearing up, you know, I was trying to be strong because I didn't want to just sob in the emergency room until like I got out of there. But she saw that I was I was not holding it together and she pulled her chair closer to me. She gave me all kinds of advice and it was good advice. And she said, this is not your fault. This is not your husband's fault. Um, you will hear comments from people that aren't going to set well with you. They, they say stupid things all the time, but just know that you can still have hope in this. Mm-hmm. And that woman's words still stick with me today. I remember that, that conversation clear as a bell, you know, even in that moment of devastation, there was that nurse really spoke into my life and my future. Um, and then around the time that that baby was supposed to be born, I got pregnant with Jude going into another pregnancy after miscarriage is scary. It was very scary for me. And, you know, I wanted to be happy and hopeful, but at the same time, I didn't want to be devastated again. It took me a while to get over that miscarriage. Well, you don't, you don't really get over it, you know, but just to feel some sort of normalcy. So when I got past that 12 week point, I was like, yes, <laughs> we we're having a pregnancy that's sticking. And, um, and it took a little while leading up to that. I had to um, go to a fertility clinic and take additional medicines because um, I, I was diagnosed with PCOS. And so I wasn't ovulating and um, I had a lot of um, imbalances that I was unaware of at the time. And so um, I had a really good doctor who helped me get on track. And um, once I started seeing that doctor, it only took a few months. So um, I had a a very successful pregnancy with Jude. He actually came five weeks early (laughs) and he, he was a very healthy boy. He was small. But I kind of liked him really small because he was so cute. So um, it was it was great to have that followed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jude was my rainbow baby. So um, yeah, and for those of you who don't know, I'm actually expecting our rainbow baby now. I had a miscarriage um, back in mid 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. And like Tabitha said, it is just devastating. And especially going into my second, I was just like, I'm not expecting this. And I had heard the baby's heartbeat. And my doctor said, you know, once you hear a heartbeat, the chances of miscarriage are very low. Well, there's a reason why there's one in four women who have miscarriages. It's very Mm -hmm. common Mm -hmm. and, and scary. And 
I don't know about you, Tabitha, but a big part of my healing was just <clears throat> recognizing that pregnancy. We named that baby, baby Peppernut. And that's the name of a Mennonite cookie. I don't know why my husband just said, let's call it baby Peppernut. So we did. And we made on the day that I had everything confirmed, a little Build-A-Bear for my son, James, in the shape of a, a monkey. And he loves monkeys and its name is Peppernut. And now when we ask him what he thinks our new baby should be named, he says Peppernut because in his mind, he associates siblings with Peppernut. It's very oh. sweet. And it's just really healing for me, for him to just also recognize that there is someone there who, you know, is missing, but not forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really sweet. I, I think it's hard to memorialize miscarried babies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had a hard time figuring that out myself and then my friends who wanted to reach out and offer something had a hard time with knowing what to offer and for me I just needed time Um, and I needed time to even talk about it because I didn't want to talk about it right away Uh, which is which is really odd for me because I like to talk things out and process Mm -hmm. things that way Um, so my my friends and family were like I don't know what to do with this (laughs) but (laughs) Um, we had a, a painting commissioned that essentially has um, the story of my husband and I, of how we got together, and some of the things that have made us who we are, including uh, that miscarried baby. And mm-hmm. so um, that's something for us that's hung on our wall that we we get to see on a regular basis and then we've we've shown Jude the little uh the painting and all the little things uh and what they represent um but you know my advice for people who know someone who's went through a miscarriage and want to reach out and do something just simply say you know a few words of encouragement um like I'm here for you um I you know, I'll let you have your space, or if you want to talk, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really based on each person's personality, but I think just being there as a good friend is good enough in those situations. Yeah, and maybe even remembering that person's due date and or something like that. Just sending them encouragement, even up to that point because really you never forget (laughs) and and I know for me like my baby would have been due in March and so sometimes I find myself like oh well I'd be I'd have like a one month old right now you know just trying to remember that this is a long standing process to get Mm -hmm. over and understand and even though a lot of women are lucky enough to have a rainbow baby it is sometimes very emotional to carry that baby while you also are wishing that you could hold your other one it's this, this constant war of emotions, really. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now that you and I have one toddler um, and both of us are pregnant, I, I may even have had the baby by the time this is released. So that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll see how things play out. But let's talk about what it was like 
entering into that everyday mom world, first starting with postpartum. And I'll share a little bit about my postpartum experience. I never was diagnosed full on postpartum. So I have not had the severe um, emotions and struggles that some women do experience after birth. Um, however, I did have what was categorized as the baby blues mm. and it was, it was very interesting. It would usually hit me at night. So like when the sun would go down, then I would feel really sad, really emotional. I remember, I always tell this story cause it's kind of funny. It's funny now, but <laughs> <Not then. laughs> yeah, my, my husband had went to Wingstop and ordered us wings and he came back and I wanted the boneless wings, but he got the bone in wings and I lost it. <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't eat the bone in wings. <laughs> Gosh. So did he go get you some? No, it like my whole family was here and I oh. like, it was just one of those moments that, you know, all of those things were coming up and mm. I just didn't know how to handle eating bone bone and wings in that situation um and and that's kind of how um my how I was feeling on a regular basis the small things seemed really big like yeah. I'm like why why doesn't my husband think about me like I would have to get my hands dirty and but I also have to like take care of a newborn and I don't want my dirty hands on my newborn and um, and those kind of things, like you just have these crazy thoughts mm -hmm. and it just seems like too much to deal with all at once. Yeah. And, you know, um, taking care of a newborn, especially for the first time is sometimes too much. You, you need the extra help. So what really helped me through that was talking to moms, but not just any moms, moms who had who were older and who had been through this uh, a few times already. Mm -hmm. uh, my pastor's wife was a good resource for me because I could just lay it all out for her and she could say, yeah, I've been there and this is what I did. These are the prayers that I prayed. These are the scriptures that I said over and over. And so she was a huge help in my life. And then after some time, those emotions got better. I was able to handle things and get mm -hmm. in, into more of a routine. Um, but really it, it just took one day at a time. <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely hard. You, you don't expect, you know, they talk about hormones and emotions when you're pregnant, but you don't expect it to be very similar when you are postpartum. Mm -hmm. That's weird. I've already talked about the isolation that I felt, but let's talk a little bit about that transition then kind of from the newborn stage into back, back into just normal everyday life. So going back into, you know, not only cooking dinner, but starting our jobs again and finding that new balance. How did you cope with that, Tabitha? Yeah, I, um, so I, I'm the kind of person who loves to work. So I realized that not, not every woman has this personality. And of course I toyed around the idea of, do I become a stay at home mom? Do I continue to work? 
what does that look like? Um, so I ended up uh, working part-time at uh, Eagle Forum after I gave birth to Jude and just kind of tried it out for a little bit to see, is this gonna be a good fit or not? And it was. The privilege that we have at Eagle Forum is that we get to be at home. We get to work from home. We worked from home before the pandemic. So we kind of have the best of both worlds where we're allowed to have our little ones run around while we work. Eagle Forum allows us to have very flexible schedules. When I came back part-time, that's when Kirsten was hired on full-time. And so it gave- Part-time too, at first. Oh, oh, that's right. I totally forgot So we were one full-time person together. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Together we were a full-time person. (laughs) But that was super helpful because when I maybe felt like I couldn't get something completed or if I had to run you to an appointment or something like that, mm-hmm. then Kirsten could take over and vice versa. Yeah. And then we both ended up becoming full-time again. It really helped us to learn that routine, how to become more efficient, how to work off of each other. And so our setup is really nice. Mm-hmm. I, I know not everyone has the opportunity, but yeah. we, we've really formed a relationship where we can um, be moms, be wives, um, and work at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's become a little easier because all our meetings are on Zoom, but right. <laughs> easier or harder. You don't need a toddler barging in, but right. you know, I've really, I think through all of this, I've learned also just to ask for help. Um, I don't have James with me every day, which is just too overwhelming because the older he's gotten, the more, one-on-one time that he really needs. And I would start to feel really bad um, when I couldn't give that to him. So on the couple of days that I do have him with me, I really try to get up earlier. I work for a couple hours before he gets up and, you know, he has to take a nap. So during that, and then also again, after dinner or just whenever I can squeeze in time, just to making sure that he's really remembering that he also is a priority too. Mm-hmm. And that's a very delicate balance And thankfully, we do have some flexibility to be able to help provide some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about those um, working mom emotions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, you've already mentioned yours. Mm -hmm. I I remember the first time that I dropped Jude off at daycare and I expected to be like really sad and weepy, but I wasn't. I just felt such relief. (laughs) Yeah. And I, um, everyone's child is different. Everyone's relationship with their child is different. But um, for me, and I felt like he was ready to go into that kind of atmosphere. And uh, of course, we took our time to research different Mm -hmm. daycare facilities and teachers and, and things like that. And it really has been the best experience for him. He goes three days a week and he has learned so much from from that daycare and it you know it kind of reminds you of how their brains are like sponges Mm -hmm. so you have to be careful you know what who are they around what are they learning those kind of things but at the same time it's it's just amazing to see him thrive um, not only socially but developmentally as well. Mm -hmm. 
I think for us, I used to have someone who could come over to my house because I couldn't imagine dropping James off, but the pandemic kind of changed all that. And we were kind of forced to have to seek outside help. And like you said, it's been really good for James in the sense that he now has socialization, which he wasn't getting. Our church nursery still isn't open. You know, we, a lot of the play groups or like the library story times, those are all still closed. So it's really provided James with an outlet and he is very social. And so he's definitely benefited and it's been really great to see that too. Yeah. Sweet. And uh, speaking of toddlers, Tabitha, how's potty training going? <laughs> well, we're at potty training for the 50th time. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I mentioned potty training in a previous podcast episode. That was yeah, like, I think that was a while ago. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's been really difficult. Um, there are things that Jude catches on right away. And like, he loves music and he loves numbers. Yeah but potty training is not one of those. <laughs> yeah. And so we've tried to implement a few different things. Um, because he likes numbers, we start counting how many times he'll sit on the potty. Oh, funny. And so there's like a dry erase board in the bathroom now and, and we'll write a number on there and he gets really excited about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is, this is a good example of how parents measure wins mm -hmm. because our win hasn't been him using the potty on a regular basis but we did it and like I guess you would call it an, an intensive weekend a couple weekends ago lucky you guys yeah yeah where we you know didn't have the pull up and things like that you could tell the very first day he was just so frustrated and it was very overwhelming for him like we're mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. teaching him a whole new process we're running him to the bathroom every 30 minutes and he by the end of the day he he just had it like <laughs> he he was crying he was emotional like we could make him laugh but he would laugh and cry at the same time mm -hmm. and so at that point I was like we're done for the day I think he's, yeah I think he's had too much yeah. But then the next day he, he got a little better about it. And the third day, by the third day, he was sitting on the potty by himself. He um, wanted to be in the bathroom. Uh, you know, those, those kind of small wins that mm -hmm. we saw, like his, his mindset ch had changed a little bit. So we still follow up throughout the week um, in his, at his daycare, they, um, take him to the potty still and, and things like that. Um, we don't expect him to potty quite yet um, to actually use the potty, but we've had those little wins along the way. And mm -hmm. maybe if we just keep doing it on a regular basis. He'll, he'll catch on eventually. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun uh, weekend for us too. But James, thankfully, I mean, it took like probably about a week but now he's totally proficient, but that's, we started in February. So March, April, it's almost been like four months, mm -hmm. three months. So you'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that goes for anything that you're teaching your child. Yeah. I mean, my son's very strong willed. Um, he's very independent and he, um, he doesn't always listen. Um, actually he doesn't listen like 90% of the time. <laughs> um, 
And I was like that as a child myself. So I, I have no one to blame but myself. Back. <laughs> but just, you know, as a parent, whether you're working, whether you're staying at home, whether you're introducing something new, or you've tried this thing for six months now and it's not working, it, it's so important to give yourself grace yeah. and know that this isn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. It's also important to talk to your mom friends and talk to your pediatrician and, um, you know, talk to people who have experience and see like, you know, is this, is this a normal thing for a child or mm-hmm. is there something more going on that's underlying, you know, yeah. um, you, yeah. you can get advice from people who, who would be very beneficial in, in your child's development. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyways, don't give up, don't get too frustrated because it's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, it's so important to just read the the situation and your child and mm-hmm. ultimately help continue to foster a safe environment for them as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So speaking of safe, what are some of your fears for Jude and your new baby girl that's coming? Yeah. Um, you know, I think with our jobs being in the political world, there are more fears that I have that are political than the typical person. Yeah. We talk a lot about what's happening in schools and education. Um, and I live in Fairfax County, Virginia, and there's always, they're always the poster child of doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Just Google it. <laughs> you know, I, I think about what is the future of my child's education and who is going to be in that school that's Mm -hmm. going to be influencing him Um, and at the same time I want him to have a good balance of being part of the world knowing people who are different than him knowing different personalities learning how to stand up for himself um, you know have that critical thinking mindset of this doesn't sound right let me look into this Mm -hmm. a lot more you know, every child has a different personality. And so how he will process all of that, I, I just don't know how that looks yet. And, you know, being, being a mom and being a mom in the political world, it's, it, I want him to learn without me having too much control over him, you know, but at the same time, like, I just want to make everything safe and right for him. And so sometimes it's, it's about guiding your child towards the right thing. And sometimes it's also guiding yourself towards the right balance of, of your child. You know, there, it's a learning process for us both. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I think that's one of my major fears right now. Things will change as, as life plays out, but but ultimately, I know that he has a good mom and dad and other family members. I know that we have surrounded ourselves with good friends and that the people in his life are, will be great influences on him no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so when I feel like I can't get through to him, I'll be like, go talk to this person because 
maybe maybe they'll um, be able to speak into your life a little better than mm -hmm. I can at this point. You know, sometimes moms are just not mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> so yeah, it, it helps to have that community and, and structure in, in your kid's life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like I would probably echo pretty much everything that you said, Tabitha. I think also just um, surrendering his relationship with, with God ultimately mm -hmm. um, to the sovereignty of God and not worrying over that, but continuing to pray over him and, and at least teach by example and through instruction um, what it looks like to have a Christian life. I think that's something that both my husband and I are very passionate about helping instill in our son and you know he can memorize the abcs almost so we're working on um a couple psalms and just enjoying also a or, or instilling a joyful heart for that for that as well absolutely i think faith plays a huge role in living out life uh, whenever there are hard times um, whenever there are good times, mm -hmm. you, you need that rock that your child needs that rock that they need to go back to every time. And, you know, we've talked about some of our hardships on this podcast, but I can't imagine not getting through those hardships without mm -hmm. faith. Part of us instilling faith in God and our, our children mm -hmm. is our own stories. And the things that we have had to overcome and how God has led us through those. And so, you know, we're telling you, our podcast listeners, our stories, but we're also telling our children those stories as well. And sometimes the history of how they came to be is just as important as what they're learning right now. Yeah. So, um, so I'm looking forward to telling Jude and this little girl all about how God brought them into our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's right. The ultimate goal of, of motherhood and parenthood is we are stewards for a time being. And, and it's really important to remember that, you know, these yep. are from above. They were not given to us um, just because, but for a purpose and, it's part of our purpose to help lead them. And that's a great calling, no matter, you know, like you said before, if you are a mother through a natural birth or by being an aunt or being a mentor, there's just a lot of different ways that you can help instill good values and faith into a young child who needs it. Mm -hmm. So one of the great things about working at Eagle Forum is that there are a lot of moms and there are quite a few grandmothers as well. Mm -hmm. And so we've been able to glean a, a lot of advice from them and um, also see them raise their families and their families come to events and, and things like that. You should know at this point that Phyllis Schlafly, the founder of Eagle Forum, was a mom herself. She rallied moms together for a political cause. And she was extremely successful at that. Mm -hmm. So that alone should encourage you in your time of life that you can do great things, mm -hmm. even as a mom, if, even if you feel overwhelmed or if you're thinking about becoming a mom and you're wondering, where's my time going to go? There are things that you can do that 
will be more than you ever thought you could do. Uh, we we really encourage you to get involved with Eagle Forum because, you know, Kirsten and I, we do a lot of the legwork of, of laying out uh, these bills in Congress. So if you're looking to get involved or increase the scope of, of what you do every single day, then contact Eagle Forum. Right. And you do that by going to eagleforum.org. Mm-hmm. There is a little drop down m- menu and you can just spend all day looking at all the stuff on Eagle Forum's website. There are opportunities for you to get uh, to contact your representative, to learn about things. We, we haven't had events for a little while because of COVID, but we will be doing those again. And then you can come hang out with us and, and learn things. So mm-hmm. we, we really encourage you to take some time and and sign up for our emails and alerts and all of those good things that we're sending you on a regular basis. And they really are great for busy moms because our legislative action alerts, for example, we do all the writing for you. You just put in your your zip code and it links you up with your representative and you shoot them off the email. So not a whole lot is dependent on your end, but really we are dependent on you for helping us get our concerns heard. Mm-hmm. And if you're a reader, mm-hmm. we have books for sale on there. We have lots of articles. So yeah, read your little heart out. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening to our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave us a review. You can find us on all the major social media platforms and at engagewitheagleforum.com. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you today, and we hope that you are able to celebrate being a mother this month. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.